excited about this service tonight. It, um, I, I count it a privilege every time we get to come together and, and I get to bring the word to you. And one thing I pray for every single day is the Lord's anointing and direction and wisdom because I feel like it's something that, you know, I want to make sure that what we are sharing anywhere in here Sundays, anytime, is what he would want us to talk about. Last week, just to give you a little bit of review, we did talk about, those of you who are here, remember we talked about Jacob's ladder and talked about, you know, the stairway to heaven, that whole experience that Jacob had. And if you weren't here, just really quickly, I just want to remind you about that story. Because in, in the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, you know, God spoke to Abraham, called him out from where he was, promised him that he would make him a great nation. Then he, he had an encounter with his son Isaac, and then comes Jacob. And up until this point in Scripture, we don't see Jacob having a personal relationship with God, certainly nothing like what you have. And I think it's important for us as modern Christians to realize that you know, we have the entire Scripture in front of us. You know, we have Genesis to Revelation. We have all the Old Testament stories. You know, we, they had none of that. They had no Israel. There was no history there. None of, none of what we take for granted and know existed at that time. So here is Jacob. He is, he is, in a sense, he's fleeing from his brother because he's tricked him out of the birthright. And then he, he fooled his father into the, the eldest son's blessing and, you know, his mother tells him, hey, you're going to have to run. And Esau has threatened his life. And so they tell him to get away. So he's on the run when he encounters God in a way that, that he had not ever encountered him before. And so as you remember, I just want to take you briefly through a couple of these scriptures just to remind you where we were last week. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And God spoke to him and he said, what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I've promised you. You remember last week we pointed out the fact that what God does here is he reassures Jacob that he has a calling specifically for Jacob. He knows where he is. He's got a plan for him. He's going to return him and protect him and it's going to be all laid out for him. And I know that we, we talked last week that you have the same promises to you. Now, this was spoken directly to Jacob, but God has the same intentions for you. It won't be the same as what it was for Jacob, but he has a plan for you. It may not be as grandiose as his plan for Jacob, you know, the 12 sons and going in Egypt and then having the 12 tribes named after you and all that. Probably not that, but maybe bigger. I don't know. What, what God has for you may not be written in Scripture, obviously, but it is something that's big for you, for you. I think we can make a mistake sometimes and think, I know I have friends who can sing. I mean, like Pastor Nick, but I, I mean, I have other friends who sing, and I remember thinking, one of my friends, in fact, he's got such an amazing voice, and um, the other day, we were talking on the phone. He called me out of the blue, and we were talking, and I just asked him. I said, now, you still, because he was talking about his church he's involved in, and he was telling me what he was doing, and, and I said, well, do you still sing? And he said, no, I haven't sung in, you know, probably 20 years. I thought, oh, my goodness. If I had a gift like that, and then I caught myself, because that wasn't what God's plan was for me and for you. He has a plan for you that's different than that. But so often we elevate some, some gift that's on the stage or that other people have rather than appreciating what God has called us to do. 
But just like these verses here, God's called you to something. And then the last part of this, the part that I'm getting at and the point for last week and then carrying over into this week. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Wasn't even aware of it. And you remember we talked about the fact that in their cultural setting, they believed that there were gods of places. You would literally walk into an area and say, what is the God here? What's the God's name in this place? Now, for us today, you might say that, and and a Christian would look at you and think, what are you talking about? We don't have gods of places, but you know, there are gods of places. Most cultures in the world, a lot of them still have that, but most have had that, where they thought there were gods, local gods. That's why even in the rest of these stories, if you follow the stories along, you know, Jacob goes, you remember the story, right? And he ends up with two wives, and then when they leave his father-in-law, one of them took the local family gods with her. That was the culture that they were immersed in. It's hard for us to relate to that because we look at that and we think it's silly, and maybe you go into a restaurant or somewhere and you see a little idol and you don't think it's anything, it means nothing to you. But to many cultures, those are real, and God is embodied in those things. But God, our God, the real God, was trying to illustrate to Jacob that that's not how it was. That he is the real God who is transcendent over all these things, and he wasn't limited to one little place. They had gods for elements and provision and protection. Gods of the rain and gods of the wind and gods of the sun. And all throughout the the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you see the the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, communicating to them and telling them, I am not limited to those things. Even the creation story itself is is almost a theology book of sorts for the people to see, no, it's not just one God for each of those things. Our God created the heavens and the earth. And he created the lights and he created the seas and he gave the seas a boundary and he created the land and he created the daytime and the nighttime. That in itself was a theology book and a statement to the cultural peoples of that time saying, you got to understand there is one God and he's God of all of these things. No limit. He wasn't just God of provision. I even saw this the other day on some TV show where this guy's pulling a, I think it was a St. Christopher medal out of his pocket. As if that is more powerful, something that you could take with you instead of the real God of provision and protection who's going to carry you wherever you need to go. But that was the culture that Jacob was living in. But, again, someone told me, Pastor Dennis, you don't need to tell us not to be offended anymore. But I don't want to offend you. The reason I say that is because I'm going to say something that might offend you, and I want you to give me permission to say it. Because it, it, in general, when you do that with people, they're not going to put up a barrier, and it might sink into their heart a little bit. That's why I'm doing that. Because even though we don't believe any of that, we talk sometimes as if we do. Because we do talk about going to meet God at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, right? Or 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night. As if he's here more now than he was with you at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock or 4 or 3 or maybe when you woke up at 7.30 in the morning or 5.30. or He is always with us at the same strength as any time. But we talk like that. And I know we mean well, 
but we do that. The God, the real God of all gods was not only there with Jacob and Jacob was surprised he was there because he thought God belonged on a mountain or some other place. He didn't realize that God was everywhere all the time. The fact is the true God can be met and encountered everywhere and anywhere you happen to be. The the real God can be found in what most people think is commonplace or mundane or not holy. There's no such thing as sacred places with him. Every place you are is sacred because the God of the universe resides with you and he's always there. Now, the enemy of our souls, that one that I wasn't going to name, he's not, he's not like that. He is limited by time and space. Our God is not, but he is. Real spiritual growth is kind of like Jacob and waking up to the fact that God is everywhere present all the time in the same strength and the strength that you need at every moment. But again, a lot of times our language doesn't speak that, does it? We say things like, God be with us. He's always with us. But we say things like, God, you are welcome in this place. And we even sang a song like that. And it was interesting because I knew what I was speaking. I mean, I knew what I'd written down here. As I'm reading the words to the song, I'm thinking, oh, that's so funny. Because part of the way that song reads, it sounds as if we're saying, come on, Holy Spirit, please come here. He's here. But thankfully, the end of the song does talk about it's not really him coming here. It's us being more attuned to the presence that's already here. We got to watch. We, we invite God. We invite you to this place as if he was standing outside and waiting for us to do that. We say God showed up. Well, someone showed up. It wasn't really God. It was us. It was us, our awareness of him that showed up. It wasn't him showing up. He's always here. He's way ahead of us. It's, you know, it's so funny. It's almost like we think if we sing a cappella or if we do it just the right way, then we're going to convince him or entice him to be here more. Not true. You know, it's not true. But it's the way we talk. The fact is, God is here. He's here. He's here. I want to take you to the book of Exodus. And you know this story. I'm just reminding you. Moses. You know the story of Moses when he was 40 years old, having lived in in Pharaoh's temple and being educated that way. He goes and he sees the plight of his people. And he kills the Egyptian. Then he flees. And 40 years later, 40 years. I'm emphasizing that for a reason. So now he's how old? Do you think he knows the wilderness area he's guiding sheep in? 40 years. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far in the wilderness and came to the Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of the bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And he says what we would say. This is amazing. A little understated. I wonder if what he really said. I mean, he's out there in the middle of nowhere with sheep. I bet you, I bet he said a little more than that. Okay, why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. 
I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. Yeah, good thinking. Good. (laughs) It's funny because Moses had been around that area, no doubt, for 40 years. I would think in 40 years in that one area, he'd probably run by that bush a number of times. And maybe this is just me, but a lot of times as I'm reading scripture, I'm wondering, how long was the bush burning before Moses noticed? What do you think? Now, we serve a God that is a God, I mean, he knows what's going on. It's not like in the wording there, it seems like almost like, hey, God noticed he got Moses' attention. I mean, he knew Moses was going to look. But I wonder how long the bush was burning. And then when he told Moses, take off your shoes because it's holy ground, I wonder what Moses was thinking even then. Do you think he thought, (laughs) this is just me thinking, I'm sure Moses wouldn't be like me, but do you think he thought, really? Because I've walked on this ground before. How long has it been holy? Is it holy right now because the bush is burning and you're talking to me? Or has it always been holy? And how far out from the bush is it holy? That's, here's the thing. Let me ask you this. How many burning bushes have you seen? Two? Did you say two? <laughs> Did you really? Oh, oh he, said, he said something else, but I thought he said two at first. Wow, that's cool. All right, well, here's what I mean by that. You've had burning bushes too. Again, you're not Moses. I get that. But God does have something for you to do. And the fact is, I'll bet you that on more than one occasion, God has had a bush on fire and you didn't even notice. Because just like Moses, you've been out there 40 years and you've been busy. And maybe there are other things on your plate and you didn't really stop and catch what God was trying to show you. And the fact is, I'll bet you that you've been walking on holy ground the whole time, lots of times, and didn't even know. Because the God that was speaking out of that bush is speaking to you all the time, just like he speaks to Moses. The fact is that there's sacred spiritual places every single place because you've got the God of the universe speaking to you all the time. And he's trying to catch your attention numbers of times over lots of things. And most of the time, it's us that aren't paying attention. It's not that God's not speaking. There's burning bushes all over the place and you're not paying attention. Because maybe you're not looking for a bush on fire. Maybe you're looking for a stairway to heaven, but God didn't choose to speak to you that way today. I was having a conversation with a guy today, and he was telling me a story about how God moved at one point in his past. And he said, I want to see God do that again. And I don't blame him for that. I want to see God do things I've seen him do in the past. I want to see him heal people. I've seen amazing miracles happen. I want to see that. Even crazy stuff, which I can't even imagine why God would even do it. I mean, I was in a service years ago in the Philippines when we were kids. We were at a church in Cavite. It was all in Filipino, and then they would translate for us, which you know how long services are already, and then you double that, okay? (laughs) So we were sitting there. I remember as a little kid, and I remember when the Spirit started to move at the end of the service and things were happening, this lady filled with the Holy Spirit ran down the pews. I saw it. I'm just saying, I saw it. I don't know why. I don't know why God would have that happen. I don't know. I saw it though. And I know why people would want to see things again. 
But as I was talking to this brother, I just said, you know what? Because I knew what I was talking about tonight. I said, you may never see that again, but he may want to show you something else. And it may not be as sparkly as a bush or as cool as a stairway to heaven, but it may be just as holy and just as inspired and just as important. And he wants to tell you something, but you're not listening for that because you're looking for the bush and he wants to speak to you. He wants to tell you something. He's always speaking to us. He's speaking all the time. And sometimes it's not as flashy as that. And sometimes it's not as just not going to happen the same way. But it may be even better. I don't know. What I'm saying is that you need to be open to the fact that he's speaking and listening to what he has to say because he wants to speak to you. I'm going to take you one of my favorite portions of scripture right now, and that is Psalm 139. I love this whole chapter. In fact, I almost put the whole thing in there, even though I'm not, I'm not really referring to the whole thing, just because I hate not to do the whole thing because it's so awesome. But this first part, chapter, chapter 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. Do you see what he's doing here, the psalmist? Do you see what he's doing? He's totally refuting the idea that God is only on one place or another. He's refuting the idea that God is limited to time or space and and couldn't know your thoughts because you were on the other side of the room. He's refuting all that. He's saying, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. He's saying, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You for me and you follow me. Your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to even understand. Because I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans... Even there, you will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. The psalmist here is telling us that his presence is everywhere. Let me ask you, is he there even when you don't sense him? Yes, he's there. Is he there when darkness isn't just an absence of sunlight, but a darkness that you're feeling and an oppression and maybe a situation? I was talking to one of our members on the phone, and and she's just struggling because so many things have gone wrong in their family and physical things and financial things, and it's so overwhelming. She just said, I can't even see through it. Have you ever felt like that? Where there's so much going on, you just, you just feel like, God, where are you? And he's there. He is there. He's always there. He's here. He's here. He's always here. But again, we use these subtle words. We, we speak with, we say things we don't really mean, but they, they're comforting almost to us. We say things like, God intervened, or God moved, 
And in a way, we're almost saying that he was somewhere else and he was detached and he had to move from wherever he was to get over to us to take care of what we needed. But I, I think when we do that, we not only discredit him, but what we're not presenting really the God of the real God, the God who's always here, the God whose presence is real. He's, he's present. I know why we say those things, though. We do it because, I mean, it's just normal speech. We're trying to explain our life. We're trying to give words to what we experience. And there's times where it feels like he's not there because what we want him to do is not happening, right? Because maybe what we want him to do is zap that person who's bugging us or, or doing stuff that we don't appreciate, and he's not doing that. So we're asking him, God, will you show up and do what I want you to do? He's there. He's with you even then. We want him to fix something that's not going right, and we, we know what the right solution is, and we know how, what the right timing should be, but it's not happening the way we want or when we want. So in a sense, we're saying we want him to show up because we don't feel like he's there because he's not fixed what we want him to fix, when we want him to fix it and how we want him to fix it. Because if he was there, what would he do? Wouldn't he stop? what's happening that you want to stop and fix what you want to fix and zap what you want to zap. And actually, he is there. And really, a lot of times what we need him to do is stop us from making the same mistakes that we keep making over and over by our own choice. And we need him to kind of quiet our attitude and maybe soften our heart toward people. And that's what we really need. Because the fact is, he's there. He's here. And what he wants to do at every one of those moments, for sure, for sure, is to comfort you in the middle and walk with you through whatever that is. And I think a lot of times our mind gets so busy and we're so focused on the way we think it should be that we don't even notice the burning bush that's right there with us. And we don't even hear the small voice that's saying, I'm with you. I've got this handled. I will walk you through it. I will give you wisdom. You need to settle down. You need to listen to me. You need to open your heart to what I want to say to you. And we're not ready for that because we're looking for him to do it different and, and be different. We have an idea of how it should be, and that's not how he intends for it to be. And he wants to calm us and guide us and comfort us. So many stories in Scripture like that. I mean, I think of in Mark 14, the story, Jesus, Jesus is there and... Um, it's, I love, scripture is just so alive and real. There's so many things, you know, people talk, they try to make it sound like, oh, it's all made up and somebody wrote it after. And, but the more you read it, you realize it's impossible. There's too many incidental details that only an eyewitness would throw in. Like in this one story in Mark 14, it says he's at the house of Simon the leper. There's so much in that statement. I mean, it probably stinks to have that last name. I'm just kidding, but that's not what it's saying. Do you know what it's saying? The Simon the leper was healed. What the, what the writer, what Mark is saying by saying Simon the leper, he's telling you a whole story without telling you the story. Because Simon the leper wouldn't be in a home in public if he was still a leper. And his name was Simon the leper because he was a walking testimony to the power of God that God had healed him through Jesus Christ and he could now be in public and he proudly wore that moniker Simon the leper because that's what he was, not what he is. That's what, that's what Mark is telling you by saying Simon the leper. And that's what he does, and that's when you read the scripture, you can read that and say, that's awesome, because an eyewitness wrote that because it's packed full of truth. 
And the Bible says that a lady anointed Jesus' feet with an alabaster jar full of perfume. And people complained about the waste and complained how much it was. They were missing the burning bush again. And Jesus said, don't you see she's anointing me for burial? And they didn't see it. They looked at the material situation around them and they had no way to notice the spiritual reality. They were sitting in the presence of a man healed from leprosy by, and with the man who healed him. And they're getting hung up on whether or not a woman should anoint him with oil. And Jesus says, you don't even get it. He could have said, you don't see the forest for the trees, right? You don't see the burning bush because of the oil or whatever. Look at, look at this, this scripture here. In John 15, the Jewish leaders have been bugging Jesus, so they're harassing him and for breaking the Sabbath rules. And Jesus replies to them, my father is always working, and so am I. Always working. What is he saying to them? They're hung up on the fact that Jesus isn't following the rules, and he's breaking especially the Sabbath rules. And clearly the Ten Commandments says to honor and rest on the Sabbath. But they had defined rest as all of these things, and Jesus violated those things over and over and over. And the way he violated them was by healing people and caring for people that they didn't even notice or care for anymore. It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, you're hung up on these silly rules and you don't even see the burning bush, which is this person whose life can be changed for the better today. And we do the same thing. This person doesn't look right. I don't know if I should talk to them. They're bothering me. They do this. But Jesus said, God is here and he's working all the time, all the time. That means that he's working on every person. Every single person who you know needs to to repent and become part of the family of God. No matter how close or far they are to that, God is already working on them. You realize, of course, he loves them more than you. He cares about them more than you. He knows their story more completely than you. Every single person. I don't do this as often as I should, but there's times, even preparing for this sermon, you know, I... I, uh, was walking at Walmart and this last week and thinking about it. And as I was walking by, I was just thinking, I, I really don't do this very often, but I was just thinking, I wonder what their story is and their story and their story. And I was really overwhelmed. And I've been in Walmart when there were more people in there and frankly, more colorful people because it was kind of boring that day. <laughs> but I still wondered and I was overwhelmed And I wondered how many of them know what I know and have experienced what I've experienced. And how many of them are so unaware of the burning bush that's right around them that there's a God who loves and cares for them and is there to redeem them and they don't even know. He's always at work in every relationship. You may have a relationship that you think is burnt and lost and they will never be mended. Or maybe somebody you've had to give up on. I have family members. It's, it's so heartbreaking. Family members who, you know, their, their children have walked away and, and done so many things. And, 
you know, been incarcerated and over and over where they have done, they can't do any more. I mean, they're so emotionally and financially drained. And I mean, it's so heavy. And um, this last week, I got a text from my mom, pray for so-and-so, it's happened again. And my heart was breaking. But God is working there. Even there, he's working. He's working. He's working. He's working. Every interaction you have, God is working. If you will let him. If you will notice that there's a burning bush right there, and there's a God of the universe who cares more than you, has more patience more than you that you may need to rely on and draw upon, and he's got answers you don't have and words you don't have, and he can quiet your response and give you one that's better, and he can do that every single time. He's at work. So let's do this for a moment. David, if you would put some music on for us just to contemplate for a few minutes. What would it look like if we were constantly aware of God's presence? I mean, if, if as you were walking around everywhere you went, you were constantly aware that, that the God of the universe is moving and working. Now, this doesn't mean that you walk up to everybody and say, hey, do you see that burning bush? I mean, do you... there's times for you to speak and there's times for you not. And there's times for you to pray and intercede for people and times for you to, to act and speak and talk. And they're different. And that takes discernment and knowing what God wants and knowing how he wants to move and operate. I mean, it's different every time. But how would it be different? How, how would it change how you deal with coworkers and family and friends if as part of your interaction with them, you were, you were completely in tune with the fact that the God of the universe is present with you as you do that and you're relying on him for a response rather than your emotional response or your gut response or maybe your your automatic go-to response you know there's an old saying that if the only tool you have is a hammer then every problem looks like a nail the same is true in 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 relationships you know every problem i hear my immediate thought is well if they just talked about it they could work it out that's not always the answer. I mean, sometimes it is, but just because that's the, the most go-to tool I have doesn't mean it's the, always the right tool. Okay, I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a moment because I want to speak to each of you individually as if we're just the only two in the room for a moment. Maybe you have a situation in your life and you've asked, why doesn't God show up? He actually has shown up because you're there. He's got you there. I've said this to him a lot of times. I don't know why he set the world up like this where he planned to use us as his hands and feet and mouth, but he did. And a lot of times I want him to show up in a miraculous way and, and do the talking and do the acting and do the everything, but the fact is, he says... I did show up and I'm showing up through you. You are my hands and you are my feet. It's almost like you say, God, why didn't you show up? And he says, funny, that's what I was going to ask you because you should show up. He, he works through people. He works through us. 
Again, I don't know why. I think he could have done it more efficiently himself, but he wants to use you. So let me ask you this, just kind of in quiet for a moment, a couple of questions here, kind of a series of questions. First thing is this, what burning bushes might you have missed recently? I'm not talking go back and regret anything. I'm talking about maybe even today. Just kind of survey your day for a moment and let the Holy Spirit maybe remind you about maybe there was a circumstance or an instance where you were supposed to act or do or say something and you didn't even notice that that was the, the spiritual moment that God had put there for you that day. Was there one of those for you you missed today? Maybe, let me ask you another question. Maybe you've gotten to a point where you've been a little frustrated with him, so much so that you had not even been looking for bushes and you realize you need to open your heart to him a little bit more today and ask him to forgive you and invite him back in where you've pushed him out because he's never moved. He's there. Let me ask you the, the next kind of question here, and that is, what is he calling you to do? If he's going to work through us and he's chosen to do that, and he's always working, but the work he's doing is through us, what is he asking you to do? Is it a relationship that maybe you need to take the first step and humble yourself and put it out there and forgive? Maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's taking a risk for him and you know, stepping in and volunteering in a ministry that maybe you didn't think you were capable of or challenged to do, or maybe you've put it off, or I don't know. What's he calling you to do? Maybe he's asking you to speak someone or serve someone or serve someplace or help someone. I don't know. But here's what I'm going to do. Tonight, I'm going to open these, these altars to you. Again, not because he's more here than he is in your seats, because you can pray to him there. I, you can pray to him anywhere you want tonight. But I just want you to take a moment before you leave Open up your heart and mind to him and ask him, God, what do you want me to do with this tonight? How do you want me to behave different? Tell him, God, I want to be more attuned to your spirit. I don't want to miss another burning bush, another opportunity you have. I want to be faithful to say and do whatever you want me to say and do. Let me, let me pray over us in that way and then invite you to spend some time in prayer.